Good morning. Um, today's Bible reading is Genesis eleven twenty seven to twelve nine. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at the Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward Negev. Thanks, Lara. Good morning again, everyone. It's great to be here. It's, um, yeah, many fond memories from my time here and great to be back again and nice to have carpet and a pretty nice building surround as well. The venue's certainly up to notch since I was here last time, so lucky you. Um, well, I wonder, I wonder if you'd think of yourself as being blessed. It's, it's a hard question to give a really definite answer to, isn't it? Because if you're anything like me, your life has included moments when you've probably felt incredibly blessed. So maybe it's the, your wedding day, um, the birth of a child, significant milestones in your life. But also times when you felt anything but blessed. Uh, maybe the, the loss of a loved one, a personal failure, or, or poor health. I think the um, big days at Brighton that we had just before is a reflection that, that life does ebb and flow a lot. Uh, so if feeling blessed or not blessed depends on our present circumstances, then it probably varies a lot as you, as you ride the highs and the lows of life. Alicia and I, six months ago, felt really blessed when Rory came into our life, but um, does that mean that we were less blessed two years earlier when we lost our first baby during pregnancy? Does it mean that we have been less blessed still if we couldn't have kids or if we hadn't got married in the first place? I guess what I'm asking is, is there a real, objective, lasting way of being blessed? Because the passage that we've just read seems to be telling us that, yes, there is. 
these first few verses of Genesis chapter 12 in particular are a pivotal turning point in the Bible, showing us that God's plan was to create, create a new people and to bring blessing to all people through one man. Now, we're going to unpack what that means. And importantly, we're going to unpack what it means for us right here, right now. This passage is about an unlikely man who receives an unlikely promise and responds with unlikely faith. And now, these events take place long before King David ruled in Jerusalem, long before the Ten Commandments were given, before a nation called Israel even existed. Abram and his family, as far as we can tell, didn't even believe in God before these events took place. Abram is 75 years old, so he's quite old. Uh, No disrespect to the the man behind the sound desk who's 75, (laughs) but it is quite old. Uh, And more to the point, (laughs) more to the point, his his wife Sarai is is barren. She can't have children, Uh, which, which makes it seem unlikely that God will use this family to achieve anything long lasting. But God comes to this unlikely man and makes an unlikely promise. He says to Abraham, chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. Now, let's just, let's just let this hang in the air for a second because this is, this is an extraordinary promise given the circumstances. Uh, this is, we've got an elderly, infertile, childless couple being told that a great nation of people is going to descend from their line. Now, it's a bit like someone telling me that I am going to captain the England soccer team one day. Now, I'm rubbish at soccer. I'm probably old enough to be retiring from professional soccer. And I'm not an English citizen. In fact, I've never been to England. And the way the world's going at the moment, I'm probably not going to get there for several years at least. That's the level of probability that we're dealing with here. I will make your name great, God says. Now, of course, we um, would have read last week in chapter 11 about the Tower of Babel, where, where the people tried to make their own name great by building this great tower that would reach all the way to heaven. Um, but God stopped them. And now he's telling Abram, I'll make your name great. Greatness is going to be on my terms, God is saying. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what we're seeing here is that God intends and desires to bless people. And this blessing is going to come through Abram. And it's a promise that sets the scene for the rest of the Bible. It shows us how God will interact with his people. There's a a really clear, helpful book on this called God's Big Picture. It's written by a guy called Vaughan Roberts. Uh, it explains this in a really clear, helpful way. So he, he breaks down the Bible by showing that there are three themes that, that everything on the Bible hangs on, all the way from the Garden of Eden at the start to, to the new heavens and the new earth at the end. So we've got God's people in God's place, living under God's rule and blessing. God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing. So here in Genesis chapter 12, we have the promise of God's people, this nation that will descend from Abram, his offspring. We have the promise of God's place, this land that God will show Abram, that he promises to give him. And we also have the promise of God's blessing, both for this great nation and for all peoples. So God's people, 
God's place, God's blessing. I'll come back to that framework a little bit later and I'll show you how it relates to us right now as well. Uh, But for now, God has made a promise to Abram. And it's a promise with a cost. He's been told to leave his country, leave his father's household. And it's a promise from a God who Abram had probably never heard of before, probably never believed in. And it's a promise that must have seemed doubtful. God was really going to give Abram children? And even if he did, all peoples on earth would really be blessed through them? It seems pretty unlikely. It's an unlikely promise to an unlikely man who responds with unlikely faith. Chapter 12, verse 4. Abram went as the Lord told him. He responds in faith to God's instruction and promise. He sets out for the land of Canaan. He takes Sarai, his wife. He takes Lot, his nephew. He takes the other members of his household. And he goes there and he sees that the Canaanites are in the land. The the inhabitants of the land are there. So God isn't giving him this land just yet. But God appears to him again and he tells him, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. So I'm going to give this land that's occupied by other people to the offspring that you don't currently have. And Abram believes him. Abram believes him. He he builds an altar to the Lord there, which is an expression of faith that he believed the promise that God made to him. Abram travels all the way through the land. He travels all the way from the, the northern border all the way south. He sees this land that's been promised to him. And he gets to the south, and again, he builds another altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord. Now, Abram is not a perfect person by any stretch. Um, I think you're, you're doing a bit more in Genesis later on this year. I'm not sure what chapters exactly you're doing, but you'll certainly see as you go through that there, Abram is a flawed man. He gets things wrong. But his faith is real. In fact, Abram's faith, his, his trust in God's promises, get to mention in several parts of the New Testament. One of those is in the book of Hebrews, in, in chapter 11. It's a, it's a great chapter where there's lots of Old Testament figures who demonstrate faith in God. And they're mentioned as models of what it looks like to be faithful to God's promises. And Abram is on the honors list in that. Now, spoiler alert for the rest of Genesis, Abram's name gets changed to Abraham a little bit later on. Sarai's name gets changed to Sarah. So we'll, we'll look at a couple of New Testament passages where they've got different names. Um, just so you know. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. This unlikely promise made to an unlikely man and received with unlikely faith finds unlikely fulfillment. Now, I've given one spoiler alert already. I don't want to spoil too much more about the rest of Genesis, but I'll, I'll spoil one more thing. God does fulfill his promise by giving Abraham and Sarah children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And, and eventually, God makes Israel into a great nation. And Abraham, the father of this nation, is given a great name, a name that is held in highest esteem by his countless descendants. Centuries later, God will rescue Israel from slavery in Egypt and he'll deliver this promised land into their hands. They become an increasingly increasingly powerful and prosperous 
nation as they obey God. And yet they constantly rebel against God as well. They fall away. They refuse to live under God's rule. They forfeit his blessing. And eventually they're defeated and they're taken from their land as punishment. And as this rise and decline of Israel is taking place, as I mentioned before, God raises up more and more people whose faith is used in Hebrews chapter 11 as an example of faithful obedience to God, just as Abram's was. Hebrews chapter 11 ends with these words in verses 39 and 40. These, that is, all these people in the Old Testament who showed faith in God, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Abram was faithful in response to God's promises. Lots of his descendants, like him, were faithful in response to God's promises. But none of them received all of what had been promised. Why not? Well, because God was planning a much better fulfillment to these promises than just a large, powerful nation. And so, thousands of years after God called Abram, thousands of years after he promised Abram all these good things, at a time when Israel was a weak, humbled nation under foreign rule who looked anything but blessed. Another man came from Abram's line. Not just any man, but Jesus Christ. God himself was entering into the brokenness of humanity to fulfill this promise of blessing. In fact, Jesus became cursed so that we could become blessed. It was by dying on a cross, the most painful, humiliating, cursed way to die, that Jesus took on himself the punishment for human sin. All the things that we've said, thought, and done that have been wrong, that have been against God's will for us. Which means that if we've repented of our sin, that is, if we've made the decision to to turn away from a life that dishonors God and, and to live for him instead, and if we've trusted that Jesus' death is enough for that, that it's the only way that we can be forgiven and made right with God, then we're saved. God declares us free from guilt because the guilt of our sin has been laid on Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, but perhaps you're, you're still thinking through what following Jesus is all about, this is what the Bible calls the gospel message. It's what Christianity is all about. Being a Christian, it's not about being a really outstanding person and earning my way into God's good book so that God has no choice but to let me into heaven. It's knowing that we aren't good enough on our own, but that God loved us enough to make a way through Jesus dying and being raised back to life. And when we've understood that, we've unlocked what it means to be blessed. Psalm 32 expresses this really well. Blessed is the person whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person whose sin the Lord does not count against them. And it's all part of that same promise that God made to Abram all those years ago. We've been looking at the book of Galatians recently at at Trinity Church Hill. I think you might have looked at it at Brighton a year or two ago. And have a look at how Paul puts it in in Galatians chapter 3. This is a, a letter written to the Galatian church, written a couple of decades or so 
after Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul says this in Galatians 3 verse 8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that a Gentile is anyone not a Jew, he would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abram. All nations will be blessed through you. So the gospel message, Jesus dying for us to, to bring us back to God, this is what God has in mind, even as he makes these promises to Abram centuries earlier. Have a look a little bit later in, in Galatians 3 verse 14. We've been redeemed in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So through Jesus, who descended from Abram, all nations are blessed. All peoples are blessed because the offer of salvation, the gospel message, is for all peoples. It doesn't matter if you can trace your family tree back to Abram or not. All peoples on earth are blessed through Jesus. What does that mean for us? Well, we see also in Galatians chapter 3, those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You are heirs according to the promise. That's a lot of Bible verses I've just thrown at you just then. Let's, let's put it all together in a little, little package that we can understand. What it's saying is if your trust is in Jesus, you're a child of Abraham. You're blessed just as he was. You're an heir of the promises that God made to him. What does that look like practically? Well, let's go back to that, that framework before of God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing. God's people, well, God's people was the nation of Israel. What is it now? It's the gathered church meeting in the name of Jesus, celebrating what he's done for us in his death and resurrection. And one day, God's people will be his people of all ages, all tongues, tribes and nations gathered together to worship him forever. What about God's place? Well, God's place was this land that he promised to Abraham where Israel would later live. But now, God dwells in us, both individually and collectively, by his Holy Spirit. God's place is right here, right, right here with us. And one day, we'll get to dwell with God, face to face, in the restored heavens and earth, with none of the sin or the brokenness that we have in this world. God's rule and blessing? Well, we see it now in part. But one day, we'll know it in its fullness when we see him face to face. This is what it means to be blessed. To belong to Jesus by faith. Trusting in the redemption that he made possible by his blood. Receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the assurance of dwelling with God and his people forever. God made an unlikely promise to an unlikely man with this fulfillment in mind. Now, it's important, though, to be clear on what God has promised and on what God hasn't promised. Because it's so easy to, to take this, this promise of blessing and, and twist it into something that it isn't. Friends of Alicia and I have, have been going through a difficult time recently, and they, they stumbled across some teaching that, it put false promises 
in God's mouth. It, it took, took Bible passages and, and it basically made false promises with regard to their situation. It promised them success and blessing and, and that all that they needed was enough faith to be able to access this blessing that God wanted so badly to give them. You, you've probably heard this kind of teaching. You know, you, you'll be cured of your cancer if you have enough faith. You'll get married if you have enough faith. You'll have children if you have enough faith. Now, that's unbiblical and actually really spiritually destructive teaching because it leads people to think that if they're not receiving something, if there's something that they want that they're not receiving, it's either because God is a liar or because I don't have enough faith, neither of which leaves you in a particularly good place. Now, sure, Abram and Sarai are both given a positive mention in Hebrews for having faith. But it's faith in something that God has explicitly promised to them. There are things that God promises to give us if we ask in faith. Forgiveness of our sins, his Holy Spirit, eternal life. And there are other things that God may give us. He may choose to give them to us. Good health, a spouse work. We can't confuse the eternal blessings that he's explicitly promised us with the immediate blessings that he may provide us with. God doesn't promise that you'll get married, that you'll have children, that you'll keep your job, or that you'll be healed from the physical or, or mental illness that you've got. There's no Bible passage that will, that will give you that. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for those things. Absolutely, we should. He may graciously answer our prayers and give us what, we, what we're asking for. God works powerfully through prayer. But he may answer our prayers in other ways. Being blessed is about so much more than just my immediate circumstances. And your life might not seem blessed at the moment in a, in a physical, mental or material sense. There was, there was some good news that we heard at big days at Brighton, but there was also some, some really hard news and enough to, to know that there are people here that, who probably aren't feeling immediately blessed right now. Um, maybe you're going through or, or you've gone through really difficult things. You, maybe your hopes for family or, or for career or for health have fallen apart. I don't know everyone's life story here. I've, I've had the privilege of walking alongside a lot of you in my time here. And, and from, from my time here, and, and also looking at my, my home church at the moment, Trinity Church Allgate, and just looking at my own life and the, the life of friends and loved ones, I know that there are some challenging life circumstances that people are facing. Whether it's issues with physical or, or mental health, family dreams that have been shattered, Problems with money or employment, family members lost in tragic circumstances. If being blessed is about what we have and what we experience right here, right now, then we'd have to seriously question it, wouldn't we? But if your trust is in Jesus, then even during those times, we're blessed in a better way than anything or anyone else in the world can offer. And as we, we read of God's promises in, in Genesis chapter 12, the call for us is to look forward in faith. To look forward in faith to the end goal of this blessing. To the day when 
we'll truly know just how blessed we are when we see Jesus face to face. See, like, like Abram, we can look at things the way they are right now and we can, we can realise just how far short life at the moment falls of the blessings and the joy that we desire. And yet, in the words of Hebrews chapter 11, we can look forward in faith to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you that you desire for us to be blessed, that, that you want to pour out blessing on us and that you have through your son. Uh, we give you thanks and praise that these blessings that you made for Abram were, were not only good for him, that you, that you fulfilled them partially in his lifetime in a miraculous way, but that they're meaningful for us now. We thank you that even as you made these promises to Abram, that what you had in mind was your son being clothed with flesh, taking on our, our human nature and laying down his life for us and being raised back to life so that we can have assurance of the ultimate blessing. We pray that you'd be helping us to look at our life at the moment and whether, whether we're feeling blessed in our current circumstances or not, to be able to look at our life and to know that we're blessed in an amazing way. Help us to, to enjoy the blessings that we have in the here and now, to, but to be able to withstand the trials and difficulties. Looking forward to that day when that blessing that you promised to Abram will find its fulfilment, when we'll get to see you face to face and, and that we'll have none of the struggles that we have now. In Jesus' name, amen.